Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Hello there, and welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Cal Nolson, joined as always by Kevin Zerman. Hey! Hey, man. Um, congrats on your vacation. I saw flowing rivers slash streams, peace, uh, and you probably watched some Bahamas basketball there. How's it going? It's going well, man. Yeah, that was actually the longest vacation that I've taken uh, since I got to Arizona sports, not by design, not like I intentionally was didn't feel like I could take two weeks off or whatever, but I've never been the long vacation type. So that was like a full week. And because of Delta Airlines, it was it was a, a day extra because they canceled our flight after we waited six hours while it was delayed and then had nothing going out until the day after. So then we had to find another way home. Right. We're very thankful to be in a position where we could do that and didn't have to stay there an extra day. So awesome trip. Uh, bad ending. Uh, I, I don't think I'm going to fly again, Kevin. So when the playoffs come up, I think I'm just going to walk to L.A. or Denver <laughs> or wherever I have to go. I'm sure that'll get approved by management's. Hey, the basketball you mentioned, huh? You want to talk about that? Yeah. Full disclosure, I did not catch any Bahamas game. I don't know what I, I don't, I don't really know my excuse here. Um, I watched lots of highlights and read your stories. Um, so I guess I will ask you the questions of, uh, I was going to just ask the most hot takey question. Um, you can go Kellen, for it. Do whatever you want. Kellen, how do you feel about DeAndre Ayton after watching him play for the Bahamas, his home country? I feel about the same. Uh, so for those of you uninitiated, we briefly brought this up in last episode, and last episode was two hours long total. So I'm guessing uh, the majority of people did not listen to it all the way through. I take no offense to that by any means. But essentially what happened was the Bahamas, which has been a... I'm trying to think of the right way to describe them as a basketball country. They have never been to the Olympics. They have never even made the World Cup, which is like the second highest tournament to the Olympics, which is going on in about uh, later this week is when it starts. We'll talk about that later in the show. They had Michael Thompson, who played there, uh, Clay's father, but they really haven't had one, the talent. And then two, when they have had the talent, had the talent be dedicated to playing for them. And that's something that a lot of these uh, countries deal with because of when tournaments are like when you're at a stage the Bahamas is at where they're so low on the totem pole, a lot of these qualification tournaments are taking place during the season. You might remember that we were talking about Ish Wainwright and Josh Okogi last year. They were playing on uh, African teams attempting to qualify for the FIBA World Cup, which is coming up uh, later this week. The Bahamas couldn't even make it that far uh, because they were in other qualifying, but they got commitments from Buddy Heald. They got commitments from DeAndre Ayton. Kai Jones was supposed to be there. I'm not. We never got clarification as to why he wasn't there, but I'm sure he'll be there uh, next July. And then uh, Eric Gordon was the late addition, uh, having uh, a Bohemian roots for him. He was able to come on the team as well. So there were two sons to watch in this pre-qualifying tournament for the Olympics, which meant one team out of these eight, and it wound up being seven because Panama just no-showed, just like a funny thing. It's like you don't really pay attention to these FIBA things too often, but 
weird stuff like this happens all the time. And Panama was like, no, we're not sending a team. We qualified, but now we're good. We don't care. Um, so that was wild. But seven teams, one team moves on to Olympic qualifying next July. And then I believe it is four total teams out of like 20 something. So that'll be a lot more difficult. The Bahamas was the favorite coming into this tournament. Uh, their main competition was Argentina, who is ranked fourth in the world. And I used air quotes there, Kevin, because the FIBA, FIFA rankings have always been trash for the most part. Like I remember, remember when the USA would go into tournaments and Spain was ranked number one for some reason? You remember that kind of stuff? Yeah, kind of fair in the recent years. But even when they were completely loaded, I believe that was the case. Um, yeah. Spain, Yeah, the, the good Spain team recently was ranked ahead of them and it just made no sense. Yeah, Argentina, probably in the 20s to 30s, if you had to rank them. Maybe they're in the high teens in terms of where you want to put them, but certainly not a powerhouse. But with that said, a ton of tradition, a ton of experience, a ton of continuity. Their team featured 40-year-old Carlos Delfino, who played on that Manu Ginobili gold medal winning team. He played on that team, Kevin. (laughs) Here he is. Out here, uh, and Argentina was the home team as well, so they had reasons to believe that they would win this. Uh, with that said, the talent disparity, these uh, Eric Gordon, Buddy Heald, and uh, DeAndre were the only three NBA players here. So it wasn't so much an expectation for them to dominate, but for them to win and for them to be able to come together on short notice and kind of start something here for next summer. And that's exactly what they did. They only had two games in group play. They thrashed uh, Cuba by 40. And then in the game that I wrote about in ArizonaSports.com, they beat Argentina by 12. Argentina jumped down to like a 17-point lead early in that game. And it looked like the Bahamas was overmatched just from a continuity perspective and all that kind of stuff. But DeAndre was really, really great offensively in the first quarter and for most of the game. And then defensively from like a point in the mid-first quarter onward, I, I included it in the story. The very first possession of the game, Campazzo drives right at him and just scores over him. And I'm like, oh, brother, here we go. And then he just dominated the game from that point on. So they, they advance to the tournament. They take care of Uruguay pretty easily. And then they rematch against Argentina. That game is really close. And Eric Gordon goes absolutely bonkers at the end in like super high stakes moments to win that game. And DeAndre was really solid in that one. Grabbed 21 rebounds, I want to say. Uh, but to your original question before all of the context, I feel about the same. I think that what I wrote about is that in that game against Argentina, he dominated defensively in the way that uh, I haven't seen since the Western Conference Finals uh, against the Clippers. I understand the level of competition difference, and that's where comparisons break people's brains. But all I'm saying is just from a strictly dominating nearly every single possession, him getting involved in every single possession, I saw it for this two and a half quarters, and I really haven't seen that guy. And that's the type of guy where his engagement levels in that game were not the same as they were in the final. And I didn't really understand why. Um, I think you would have agreed with me if you would have watched the games. But those listening, I think, can agree just the the way you saw him kind of moving on on top of his feet in that first Argentina matchup compared to the second one. It was different. And that guy from the first game is the guy who can be a defensive player of the year candidate. But the guy from the game on Sunday, like that'll that's enough. He was still pretty engaged. He was still finding his spots in the offense. They needed to find him a bit more. They didn't, but he grabbed every single rebound. He was where he needed to be defensively for the most part. And yeah, I I just was excited to see him in that uh, situation and in that setting. And it was really cool to see him in there as far as any grand proclamations or takeaways. uh, I have none except that he looked good and he should have. Yeah. I mean, you can't really make 
those grand proclamations out of even the 21 rebound game, like that competition, he did that in college. He, I will say he looks like he's in really good shape. Um, and you hope he maintains that into the season, but yeah, I mean, you kind of expect him to do that. I think the, like when you wrote, um, about his defensive engagement, that's the one where it's like, okay, I, I can't tell if, you know, as you wrote, like he really screwed up Argentina, but they also don't have ways to go at him with great athletes or to have some of the best one-on-one players in the world attack pick and roll coverages with him in it. And that sort of thing where like things do go South and they're going to go South against anyone, not just Deandre. Um, And to me, it's just his engagement as far as responding well to that and, and still holding up in the, in the clutch moments and all that were the most important moments uh, in tough games. And that's not going to come to be in a FIBA pre-qualifying tournament. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think, like, if we're talking about resetting as a human being mentally at his job, like, this is a good thing, right? It's He's getting a new coach. He's playing for his home country with a lot of pride. Um, building bonds with Eric Gordon, um, important. And I, I guess... Was there anything from Eric Gordon's end that surprised you? I think him yamming on someone, I wasn't surprised by that, but people do point to his age. Uh, yeah, I mean, what did you see from him? I thought he looked like just about what I expected, and I think the reason why I analyzed DeAndre so much more than Eric is because Gordon's been around for over a decade, and we kind of know what to expect, and especially from that uh I think there's a situation where we could have gone in, he could have ended the year with Houston and we could have gone into the summer being like, how much does he have left? But he showed even in LA that like he was a difference maker for the Clippers immediately and was important to their team. So I don't think there was really much of a question in terms of what he had left. Um, It's funny, the Bahamas, they, they were forming an offensive system and DeMarco, who's an assistant with Golden State, I thought did a really good job with their team, but they didn't really have a, a true out-and-out point guard who was consistently involved in the offense. So a lot of their offense was just Buddy Heald or Eric Gordon hitting an off-the-dribble three. And I think Eric Gordon in the tournament, I remember the stat was either 65 or 50%. He shot from three in those four games. And the end of the fourth quarter, he went nuts. Now, I do think that it's it, it was interesting to see the reactions kind of pour in to what he was doing because what he was doing was on the ball. And when he's out there for the Suns, he's not going to be on the ball much. And I think that's the thing that I wrote about um, in the tears thing. And then we briefly talked about in the Suns section there that they have to figure out a way to still get something out of his on ball skills. Cause yes, he's like a really smart player. He's an excellent shooter as a, gravitational weapon for the the units with the big three or the big four, he's going to be dynamic for them. But with that being said, you still need to get him on the ball quite a bit. And so what's going to happen is the late first quarter rolls around. He's in there. Well, if Beal only took two shots, that's when he's going to look to shoot. So I think that there's going to be some balance there and getting it, getting that part of his game out because as he showed in that tournament, like he's a, he's still a very, very good, strong scoring guard like he can slash he can finish at the rim he's got the deep deep range on his three like he can still really score the ball to me i don't know if i've said this before but like i agree that there's importance in getting him on the ball and i think that'll be easy just because like not having campaign 
maybe Jordan Goodwin like plays a lot. Maybe he doesn't. I, I think Eric Gordon might be the backup point guard for the Suns, honestly. And and to me, as just knowing how basketball kind of works, it's I think lots of scores, especially when they're that versatile, like Eric Gordon. Like if you get the ball in your hands, um, even if it's like in the second quarter or whatever, I think that really helps you get in a rhythm as far as your shooting and your scoring. So like, yeah, if he's not on the ball later in the game, I think that kind of thing will pay off um, as far as, oh, I'm in a rhythm already. I've gotten, you know, a sweat going in this game. I, it's not like I'm not touching the ball at all. And maybe he's not even like racking up assists or points early on, but you're saving legs of book and deal. Um, you're getting in a little rhythm, and then I think that kind of stuff pays off when you're, you know, well ingrained into the game, second half, late fourth quarter type moments when he's probably going to be out there in, in some uh, defensive iteration. So, yeah, I, I think that, again, that's a good thing for the Bahamas to have him. I mean, a good thing for the Suns that the Bahamas had him on the ball a lot just to kind of, you know, get a feel for that kind of thing more. Got to say there were a couple of positions of Carlos Delfino going around a screen or slashing where I was like, oh, that. I I think his defense is underrated as a whole, especially from the. I I refer to them as the fire hydrant guards, Kevin, as I often did with the Clippers, like him, Terrence Mann, Norman Powell, how the work that those guys all did, Russell Westbrook, and he was a part of that. I thought that he was pretty darn good, and I wrote about that when he got here. But there, I think in when it comes to the defensive assignments he's taking, he's going to have to be the guy taking the the guy that Chris Paul was guarding, you know. And and if you move him up any further up the pecking order, that's when I start to worry a little bit. I'll be interested to watch that throughout the course of the season. Hey, let's do a roll reversal, bud. You ready? Oh, yeah. The schedule came out, and I looked at it for 90 seconds, and that's it. I have it up right oh. now. This is the most I've looked at it by far. What were your takeaways, pal? Uh, I basically, what I did was, even before the schedule came out, I'm like, here are the teams I'm excited to see play, whether it's home or away. And then guess what? When they released the schedule, like every single game that I was excited for was in the first like three weeks. So like maybe maybe a little over a month. I think there's one in like early November, but there's a lot of really good stuff. I mean, you're talking about um, I think the Nets game is what like December 13th. Okay, so that's in December. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, That's the latest one. But that's the big one. Like Suns fans. That's the home one, by the way. Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, Kevin Durant plays the Nets. But I don't think Suns fans care about that much. I, um, I, if I could use my please have everyone healthy on one night, I would use it on that. Even with like the Warriors on here, even with the Lakers, the Nuggets, I want everyone to be healthy for that game. There will probably be like very nice videos made, you would think, um, for the former Suns. What else? Nuggets is early. Uh, Monty Williams in Detroit early. And I wrote this. I'm curious when we talk about DA narratives, how DA looks in that game, because I just think that when he like it sucks because like he's not motivated in angry ways very often. But I always say this in Arizona when he had his head coach suspended, basically pulled off a road trip to Oregon for a game because there was a story by ESPN about him talking about DeAndre receiving money to play at Arizona. Uh, 
that was DeAndre's, in my opinion, best college game in Oregon. Um, and I just am curious if DeAndre shows a little of the, yeah, it was Monty Williams holding me back energy, or I didn't get along with him and enjoy his company. Like I'm super interested in petty drama and that kind of thing. Um, and that's a whole narrative that we're going to obviously just from the jump from the start of the season, get into about whether he's was unfairly treated or just didn't respond well, or however you want to kind of approach it. Um, maybe it's a big nothing, but I'm curious about that game. Um, that is the, that is the second weekend of the season. And that is a game in Philly at 10 AM local time here in Arizona. And then the Sunday game, second game, back to back in Detroit, one o'clock start. That will be the DeAndre Aiden weekend. We will be oh. hyper focusing on DeAndre for sure. The obvious, the Golden State Warriors opener. Um, yeah, Chris Paul. Because that one is like, there's, I actually, yeah, it, it's like Katie has barely played there or if at all um, since leaving. He has played in Brooklyn a few times, maybe three times, I think. There's that. Um, Chris Paul with his new team alone before we get into playing his old team that probably pissed him off when they traded him for Bradley Beal. Um, But, like, just the two very good basketball teams with, like, very new pieces and figuring that out against one another, it could actually not be a very good watch as far as like in sync, good basketball, we're operating at a high level. I think it could be a little messy, but I think it's going to be super interesting to see how they interact like with each other, let alone between one another. Right. Sorry, I was counting and I muted my microphone. Um, This is the first time I looked at the schedule. Like I said, I, I agree with you on the golden state game. The the theme that jumped out to me just scanning it here for the first time in like its entirety and actually trying to analyze it is that they play 18 games before the start of December and somewhere in there is the in-season tournament, the FA Cup, Community Shield, whatever crap they're calling it that I'm actually excited for. I'm not trying to be a curmudgeon about it. It's just like weird to see a 10-day break in December and then remembering exactly what that's for. Uh, over the course of... Uh, October and uh, November, Kevin, they only have one back-to-back, it looks like. And, like, let me just, like, say days of the week out here to you. Uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. There's that back-to-back. Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. Tuesday, Wednesday, there's a second back-to-back. That's at home. Uh, Friday, Sunday, Wednesday, Friday. So it's it's just a bunch of gapped-out segmented games together they don't really have this crazy stretch where they're going three and four four and six nothing like that that's going to start to come for them later in the season and then at the start of december they've got denver memphis and then the rest of the in-season tournament i believe is is when that is um and then golden state brooklyn new york uh for the first half of december so that's 18 games kevin like if they're 13 and five or better and they're starting to like kind of round into form. I think that that's when you're looking for good telltale signs because the schedule isn't really, it's, it's pretty soft actually for the first 20 games or so you got golden state and the Lakers, like you said, but then you got Utah, San Antonio twice, 
Philly, Detroit, Chicago, the Lakers again, OKC, Minnesota, Utah, Utah. I'm not really naming any of the big bad wolves yet. Uh, and they don't really hit the the elite of the Eastern Conference outside of Philly until the second half of the season. So I'm keeping an eye on that record once we get to the start of December, see how they assimilate. And the and the I mentioned the gaps in the days because those are practice days, because I do think that getting a full training camp and getting as many practices in as possible is going to be important for them because yes, like the training camp matters, but they're going to play some of these games, Kevin, and it's going to be out of sorts for them and they're going to need to practice the next day. And it looks like they are going to have the opportunity to, which is going to be really important. Yeah. For a bonding team. And here's my hot. No one cares about the in-season tournament take. The Suns have a lot of minimum guys who will be playing in the rotation. Guess what? That means that their winnings, if they won the whole thing will be greater I mean, relative to the size of their contracts than most of every other team when you take away Book and Beal and DA um, and Kevin Durant. So as far as incentives, just remember, the Suns role players have more incentives because relative to their contracts, it's like, what, half a mil each if you win the whole thing? That's my hot take. Anyway, continue. And they are the pure Hooper basketball players just trying to win. Guys, if there's if I had to pick a contender that was going to take this seriously, it would be them. And then people are forgetting the only game that really is going to be how seriously are they going to take this is once the in-game tournament uh, final comes, because I believe it is the in-game tournament final that is going to be like the game 83 for teams. All of these are regular season games. Like that's the part that people are forgetting. So that is going to be a predominant factor no matter what. Like, But I do yeah. think the Suns are going to take it serious, more seriously than a regular season game, I should say. If there was a contender that is going to do it, I believe it is going to be them. And I think they know far better than you or I what I was just talking about, where they really need these 20, 30 games. They don't need to hit the ground running by any means, but they just need to work through the kinks. And then if they figure them out by the start of January, they're rolling. I think they're good. That's been my whole thing. I've said with them... We got the FIBA World Cup coming up later this week, bud. Uh, the most unfortunate development in quite a while uh, for, for me in my own life. I got to say this. I don't know if this is bad to admit or not, but these games are really early. I don't like it at all. This is rough. Uh, 1 a.m. starts, and then it's pretty much a slate of seven hours of basketball starting at 1 a.m. local time here in Arizona and then rolling through till 8.30. Uh, for example, the opening night, uh, the opening morning is Friday with 1 a.m. Angola and Italy, and then wraps up with a 6:30 start for Canada and France. That should be that last one should be a really fun game. But the reason we're mentioning it, Japan is in this thing, and we're going to be able to see Yuta Watanabe in a similar role to Chimezi Metu, who we saw for Nigeria, uh, who we briefly mentioned last episode. And then DeAndre Ayton as well, where he is in more of a uh, starring role. Are you familiar, Kevin? With Keisei Tomenaga from Nebraska. No, I can't. Oh, uh, I've watched a few of their games or caught a part of it. He's He goes viral from time to time just because he has these shooting, scoring explosions for Nebraska. He's entering his senior year. Uh, is referred to as the Japanese Steph Curry. Of course, um, the comparisons there, that's rough to, rough to take. But with that being said, it's pretty much him. A couple of guys who are the seasoned uh, league MVPs, former league MVPs of the Japanese league, but Watanabe is the star. And we haven't talked about this yet on the podcast, but Yuta had some really interesting things to say when it came to what he was looking for from this World Cup and when he was doing interviews going into it. 
Um, you just said that if we end up with a string of defeats this time as well, I'm ready to take off the national team's uniform. That's how committed I am to this World Cup because they have lost their eight last eight games in major tournaments. The problem, Mr. Zimmerman, is that they are in the group of death. They play, I believe, Finland, Australia, and Germany, who are three of the better teams. And it's crazy to think in terms of who can advance there out of those two. Japan is clearly the fourth best team in there. Uh, but I'm really excited to see him play because we're not really going to see him dribble that much this year. But he's going to dribble quite a bit for this team where we're going to see more of his all-around game. Let's see in that group. Laurie's playing right. Um, yep. Schroeder, who else? Wagner's. The Wagner's are there. And then for uh, Finland, you mentioned Larry Markkinen. But then for Australia, they've got Dyson Daniels, Josh Giddy, Joe Ingles, Patty Mills, Matisse Seibel, uh, Josh Green. So, uh, brutal draw for them. Yeah. Um, other teams to watch. I mean, I guess I'll talk on Utah. Yeah, it's it's one of those. And same thing with DeAndre. Like, I just want to see you do more than you're going to be expected to do on the Suns. Just it's an opportunity to grow. Um, I, I will say one thing. He's not going to get corner threes as often up on that team just because of probably what the role is. But that's that's his, like, bread and butter um, I don't know if I mentioned it. He and Damian Lee were basically like two elite as heck corner three shooters last season in the NBA. And I think that's going to be something I'm just, they're just going to post those guys up like statues in the corner when you have the big three um, or a couple of them out there. Um, so yeah, learning a little bit more about him, but yeah, what other teams are there to watch out in this? I mean, Canada has pretty loaded, you can talk about the U.S. if you want. If you have any of your hot Tyrese Halliburton needs to play takes, go for it. Oh, I do. I certainly yeah, have yeah, yeah. plenty of those. You know I do. Uh, hot take, this is the worst international field for basketball I've ever seen. It's Ooh. brutal. It's bad. Um, Canada or Germany is probably the second best team or France. I'm not really sure. But I think the United States team, even with it being the quote-unquote B team, like you're not seeing Kevin Durant, LeBron James, um, Damian Lillard, Jason Tatum, Devin Booker. You're not seeing any of those guys on the team as you would typically for a World Cup. Um, these other teams, like I don't really see them. I can see them absolutely beating the United States, but there's just a really big drop off here. And I'm really interested to see what the Olympic teams look like. Canada, for example, Jamal Murray coming off an injury. He's not playing. Giannis is not playing in this tournament. I believe Yo- uh, Jokic is not playing in this tournament as well. There's a lot of big stars that are missing when their countries are in this, and this is more of the World Cup more often than not is looked at as the tune-up uh, for the Olympics and just everyone kind of really setting themselves in the right direction and getting more camaraderie as a team before the actual really big tournament. Uh, but a lot of guys are missing. You mentioned Canada. Uh, this is, uh, of course, a great tournament to watch Shea and see how he looks as well. Dylan Brooks, R.J. Barrett, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, on that team, Zach Eady, all the college basketball heads who are be like, why isn't there a place in the NBA for Zach Eady? Well, you get to see him in this tournament and see how he does. How, how's that sound? You? How will he do against Jaron Jackson Jr.? I don't, I don't think it's going to go very well for him, Kevin. I, I'm ready to be surprised, but I'm sure he's going to hit. He's going to hit three post moves, and those videos will be on my timeline all year, talking about how he should be a first round pick. Um, my team USA take. I watched them in the opening game uh, exhibition. This is not a uh, proving I, I, I'm right kind of a spectacle or whatever you want to say, but I just saw the five, which was Mikel, 
uh brandon ingram anthony edwards jalen brunson and jaron jackson i just looked at and i was like this is not going to be the five for them by the time the tourney ends and then it took through all of the exhibition games for us to kind of get there and kind of see what the answer was i felt like it was halliburton but austin reeves has been one of their best players so far at least through these exhibitions which have been very competitive germany had them down i believe 15 at one point in the in the second half before the usa rallied back cam johnson has been coming off the bench they've been using palo bancaro as a small ball five Josh Hart, not really in the mix there. Walker Kessler, not really in the mix. Bobby Portis is like a matchup-dependent five. Brunson and Ingram have been okay, and that's where it kind of looks like they closed with Halliburton, Mikel, Reeves. Um, I'm missing one guy. Anthony Edwards and then Jaron Jackson Jr. It looks like that should probably be the five. It's a little small, but they just need the right mix of players like that we talked about with the Olympic team before. Uh, and they've got it. Uh, I'm very glad to uh, remember that in the Minnesota discussion in the last podcast and then in the written words that I predicted a superstar breakout coming for Anthony Edwards because it looks like it's coming. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, he's been sensational so far. Um, it looks like it's at least going to come as much as his uh, destination, his uh, his team allows it to just with the fit uh, with the two centers on the squad. But it's going to be interesting to see how guys like Ingram, Brunson, even Mikel, I know Mikel's going to be able to handle it seamlessly, kind of take a step back. I don't know if Cam's role is going to be there. It looked like he was going to be one of the more important players at the start of it, but now with how much Halliburton and Reeves have shined, I'm not sure how many more minutes are going to be for him. I'm sure he's going to, still going to play. Uh, do you want to play a quick game of FIBA before we go and do Cats Talk to end it? Yeah. I'm going to ra- name you a random player, and you're going to tell me what what uh, team they're playing for. You ready? Oh, no. Yeah, go. Emmanuel Acott. Uh, former Arizona five-star recruit oh, only spent a year there. Oh, oh France? Sudan. Oh. Uh, former Phoenix Sun, Peter Jock. Is that how you said it? The kid out of Iowa who could shoot? Uh, is he also Sudan? He's also playing for the Sudan. This is a gimme. Dusan Ristich. Serbia? Indeed, he's there with Bogdan Bogdanovich, our old friend as well. Nikola jo- uh, Jovic is on that team as well, the Miami first-round pick, f- future Portland Trailblazer. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. Oh, no. <laughs> I didn't know this. He's from, like, New York or – he's from Philly. He's from Westchester, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no idea, man. The country of Jordan. What? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Your yeah, research that's... is great here. Continue if there are any more. You know this one. Uh, Lebanon. Omari Spellman? Yeah, I switched it there. I went with the country <laughs> instead. Former Villanova. That's what is my favorite part of these tournaments. Uh, Puerto Rico. Do you know this one? Or I'm uh, sorry, not Puerto Rico. Uh, Dominican Republic. Carl Anthony Towns. Philippines. Um... Oh, Jordan Clarkson's not playing, is he? He is playing. There you go. Last but not least, China. Oh, Kyle Anderson. (laughs) You betcha, buddy. I read, yeah, I read a story about Kyle Anderson's like mom did the, you know, genetic research and found they're like from Jamaica, but Chinese Jamaicans and they went and found their Chinese family is a like touching story a few years ago. Um, I will say the cool thing, this is all in like either Asia. I don't know if Australia is hosting anything. 
Um, Philippines is like the craziest basketball country. So I think like just seeing, hopefully they're, they will show like the streets, if you will. Um, Mm -hmm. because that, that nation is just like basketball obsessed from everything I've read and like watched and everything. So super excited that they get to host some of these games, I think. Yeah. And then of course you've got Luca on Slovenia with Mike Toby, one of the greatest international bigs that ever was Zoran Dragic. Still there. No, Goran. I think Goran's hurt. Did he say, or no, he retired. I remember that he retired from international competition. Uh, Jordan, by the way, Ronnie Hellas Jefferson, that's the third and final game of group stages for the United States. A big audition moment for Ronde to see if he can get back in the league. We'll see uh, how he does. Bonus round, Kevin. Yeah. I tweeted that Carlos Delfino screenshot of him being 40 years old, and I was like, every FIBA tournament has at least one of these, and I love it. Can you name the 40-year-old former Laker guard who is on Brazil? Oof. Um, is he actually Brazilian? He is actually Brazilian. Born in Sao Paulo. 40 yeah, years old. He I'm played blanking. for the Lakers in 2015 through 2017. Oh no. Marcelo Huertas. Huertas. Oh. He's back, folks. He's back. <laughs> uh as you can tell, I'm just elated. I can't wait. All right, we have five minutes left, Kevin. Uh quick cats talk, big twelve thoughts. You've also been watching them in preseason play. What do you think about the move? They're former playing... Pac12.com writer, Kevin Zerman, I should say, for listeners. Uh, wait, what did you ask me? Sorry. Big twelve thoughts. What do you think? Uh, thoughts too, whatever you want to get into cat's talk here is the good, uh, good for, yeah good for basketball um i don't have any hot opinions on this like you gotta do what you gotta do to not be part of the pack four basically um i watched some youtube exhibition games against some israeli club lebanon where i saw omar spellman so that was kind of a cheat answer i had um they're playing with their starting lineups but i will say the lithuanian duo who are incoming look really good i will tell you this sir do they have like a 17 18 year old combo or something so i don't monte juice if i'm saying it right krivas um he's like 6 10 6 11 maybe moves really well um basically he like there was one play where he picked up somebody like 94 feet legit against the baseline as they were trying to bring the ball up stole it and just like laid it up um very interesting and then the other one is a wing they have a lot of shooters man um and then i'm pretty sure i'm just throwing out a bunch of bullet points at you but i'm pretty sure they're gonna start all three guards um boswell bradley and Caleb, Caleb Love. Caleb Love did not chuck as much as I thought he would. So I think I think this is promising and they have a lot of options. Like the guys who are coming back, um, like Philip Baratchin or however you say his name, who hardly played last year, he was shooting Borvichian, really well. I think Borvichian. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Get excited, dude. Get excited. I'm excited if that kid out of San Diego State is a Johnson. Is that his last name? Um, yeah, he had a really good game, too. Yeah, if the kid out of San Diego State is good, then I think we'll be good because I think Tommy Lloyd will hopefully, this is me being optimistic, hopefully learn from f- four weeks of teams uh, seeing Umar Balo be packed off Shaq, and they're like, no, we're not going to let him get the ball anymore. And then they just couldn't get him the ball anymore. Hopefully they learned from that and are able to get him the ball more. I'm a huge Colin Boswell fan. 
As you know, I thought the Caleb Love move was necessary. I thought we needed some offensive juice clearly, and I think he is going to bring that. There are going to be three to 12 games where he's shooting too much to a detriment, but the team needs that. And I don't know about the Bradley kid. I don't know about the bench outside of Pella, who's going to be good, and he should probably still come off the bench, given that we have enough talent, it seems like, to start elsewhere because of how he looked once he moved back to the bench. But I'm excited. I'm hoping that the Suns schedule, not next season, but the season after that, has like a random four-day break where I can go to the game at Allen Fieldhouse or something. Do we even know what divisions of the Big 12 we're in yet? Like, are we playing with Kansas and TCU? I would I would hope so. I would hope they're putting all the basketball teams together. West, I don't I don't know, man. We yeah, we're 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 not in the East. <laughs> no. <laughs> Certainly in the Big 12 West. All right, buddy. Well, not sure when we'll podcast again. We'll probably do some uh we will do some post FIBA stuff. It it's probably only going to be three games for Japan, but some other World Cup stuff to take away. Uh and then my goodness, that podcast will take place in September. And then at the end of September, Media Day, and we're off and running, bud. It's gonna come quickly, yeah. All right. See you later, everyone.